0: It is The Graveyard Gamer. Welcome to The Graveyard, and today I am back with another episode, one that I am super excited for. One of the things that I like to do is I like you guys to see what I'm into, what I'm gaming, what I'm playing right now, and that's why my reviews are coming out. But I also want to sit there and I want you to see about who The Graveyard Gamer is as a gamer. So what I have here is a list of big gaming moments that I've encountered over the last several years that I thought would be pretty cool to run through. Some funny moments in there, just some good times. And on top of that, I recently played through the Spider-Man DLC for the Marvel's PS4 Spider-Man game. And I wanted to throw that in there and give you that review because I'll be honest, I loved Spider-Man last year. So going through the DLC recently, I wanted you guys to hear what I thought about that. So with that being said, let's talk about some of those big gaming moments. So we all know it's like when you're playing a game and all of a sudden you're like, that was a pretty cool moment. And I thought it'd be kind of cool to take a few minutes here and just kind of list some of those big moments I have had in my gaming lifetime. Now before I get started, I started playing way back on the NES, back in the very end of the 80s, and I will tell you this, here's an honorable mention right off the top. For the first time I ever got mad at a game and you just wanted to punch a TV screen, you young kids will never know how much you wanted to punch the crap out of that dog that laughs at you every time you miss a duck in Duck Hunt. To the point I remember getting my controller, the little gun, right up to the TV, pressing it, and getting just so mad when he would laugh if I would miss. But now, let me get a moment to send, calm down, and let's talk about some of these big moments. One of the first one that pops in my mind is hallway fighting in the tanker level of Metal Gear Solid 2. Now, I will talk about Metal Gear as a franchise at some point, but let me just say that this was Metal Gear Two was the first game I just truly jumped in and played on the Metal Gear franchise, so I'm going through a snake and you're you're doing your stealthy stuff going around, and there's a moment that I got seen by a guard, and the way the camera angle is the camera is set back I'm in the foreground, all the enemies are coming up from behind, but you're in a corridor in this tanker, so there's a little bit of a a door frame every few feet. And I just remember being tucked against the the door frame, and I'd lean out and take a few shots, and I'd lean out and take a few shots, and they would be doing the same thing to me. And this was huge, man. This was not something we'd seen in the PS1 era. So now here we are, a few months into me having a PS2, and I'm playing this, and I am just absolutely blown away by it. I mean... Sure, I've played plenty of games to shoot in, but this was the first time that that cover type mechanic was actually used. Now, it really wasn't a cover mechanic like what you get now, with starting with a game called Kill Switch that a lot of people don't remember, leading into Gears of War, and then what we have now. But this was one of the first time that I had any kind of experience really doing something like that, and I fell in love with it. It's a point in that game very early that probably had me go okay this is a cool purchase to whoa this is going to be awesome to loving the game to falling in love with the series that is a big moment for me just that hallway fight—it's something we were taking for granted now in a game but back then it was truly awesome and i loved it now i have talked when i did my review for hitman 2 how much i love the series of hitman 2 but i want to go back in time and i want to talk about ironically the original hitman 2 way back on the original xbox is how i played this i remember seeing the previews and just thinking that looks like a cool game i'd never heard of code name 47 i just heard of hitman 2 but i was like you know what i'm gonna really give it a shot i went down to the store picked it up came home and started playing it i played for an hour and i'm gonna tell you right now i really really sat there and said i don't I don't know if I like this game. Now, you know, the very first level is tutorial. You're taking some people out. And then the second level is like your first real level. And that's the one I'm talking about, where you go to the Mafioso estate. And you have to get in there and take this guy out. I played for 45 minutes to an hour and could not get in the gate. Like, I wasn't expecting this. I thought I just had to go up and shoot the guys. Or you just walk in or whatever. I couldn't get anywhere. And I was seriously going, man, how can I put the cellophane back on this game and take it back? Because I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. But then it happened. I just noticed that this guy was walking in with some flowers, it's a flower delivery guy. So I went up to him. I'd played enough with the mechanics in that 45 minutes that I realized oh, I could take this guy out. I took him out. Well, look at that! I can change it to his clothes. Boom! I put it in. Guess what? I'm in the estate now. Now I'm now I'm switching out with different bodyguards to use their clothes to get even farther in there. I'm exploring. I'm finding stuff out. Guys, I was hooked at that point. That is one of my favorite Hitman levels of all time, just because of, it was just so opening. It's nothing that the level does that is just so mind blowing, but it is just like, I never played a game like this. This was insane. I had so much fun doing it. Uh, I mean, I always go back to that. And I'll tell you, and I'll tell you, that one level just propelled me so hard into playing the rest of that game. And I mean, to think, had I not figured that out, I was probably taking it back, or getting rid of it, or trading it in, whatever happened. I'm so glad I didn't. I would not be the Hitman fan I am now and that game was just so great. In fact, when I bought the Hitman Remaster Collection back on the PS3 days, I absolutely still love that level. Even though you know the controls at that time were kind of old and archaic, but at the same time, man, there's just that sense of freedom that I truly truly love. That moment of just learning how to play Hitman 2 was just was just awesome. Jumping into an entirely different franchise, now I want to talk about the twist of Assassin's Creed. Uh, so here's the deal. Going way, 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 way back to 2006, when they first kind of started debuting Assassin's Creed, showing what it was. I remember, I don't remember if it was on a website or if it was in a magazine, but one of the previews from that 2006 E3 talked about a behind-closed-doors trailer. And in that trailer there, we didn't know what to make of the ending because all of a sudden, your guys in the Crusades, but then he wakes up and it's a very current day setting. Immediately, I'm a guy that always tries to read into those. No matter how much I want to, I start thinking about how could he get to there. I've read Planet of the Apes, the original novel, and they have a moment in there where they talk about hooking up some electrodes to the brain and you could relive your ancestors' memories. And, you know, in the book they talk about it. But I was like, there's something to that in here. So when I played the first game and people were, you know, somewhat complaining that they give away that twist in the very beginning, didn't bother me. Played it, loved the game. I was really interested in that Apple, and they don't really go too far into it, you know? You just know it controls people, but how does it get there? That's what I walked away wanting to know. Along with, had you read some of those emails that you could find on the different people's computers where you were locked away as Desmond, it really made me kind of go, man, I want to know more. So going into Assassin's Creed 2, I really was like, dude, there, it's got to be some kind of alien technology. It's got to be something, man. Like, I hope they tell us what it is. And as you're playing this game, you're seeing these two people running. You don't know who they are. They're just running. It looks like very futuristic, and also very much set in the past. You're like, what is going on here? You uncover all of those truths, and they call each other Adam and Eve. And it's like, what? And then, the ending of that game, (laughs) where you're in a fight with, of all things, the Pope. Like, I... (laughs) You want to talk about far out there moments? Assassin's Creed. A game (laughs) that is based in history. You're fighting the Pope. You're fighting the Pope. But anyway, you're fighting the Pope to get into this vault. And you find out as, you know, those who come before start talking. And the best part is they're not even talking to Ezio. They're talking to Desmond through Ezio. And it's just this big, like, what the crap is going on here? But it's this really cool moment. And it blew my mind. Never would have thought it was a precursor race to humans. That they'd created humanity as their slaves. And Adam and Eve had stolen Apple. And, you know, as for games progress and they really push that storyline you'd found out that there was this big catastrophe that that wiped out so many of those who come before the itsu allowing the humans to grow and and take over the world type deal you really didn't know any of that was going to happen like i didn't you know, you go into the lore how there was this big war between them before that catastrophe and how some of those who came before the Yitsu had kind of started breathing with normal humans and that's how you have people like Desmond and Ezio and any of the stars really that have that assassin ability, that, that sixth sense, if you will. I just, I loved it. I thought it was such a cool twist and to me, it set that series up. I know a lot of people did not like Going from the past to the present. A lot of people always say that's kind of distracting. To me, I've always felt like that's the overarching narrative. That is the point for playing these games is so that it impacts the current day. And I think that twist of, hey man, there's so much going on and they're going to speak to you, Desmond, so that you can stop another catastrophe, I think that just, oh man, it's sealed the deal for me. I love the first game, was blown away by the second game, and that twist right there just took it to a whole new level. Absolutely love that twist huge moment for me so here's one that some people are gonna kind of laugh at and not quite get where i'm going here but up until 2004 the letters rpg meant graveyard gamer is staying away i was not going to touch it right i was just used to turn-based combat and to me that was just something i was never going to get behind the little bit i had tried of one of the final fantasy games at that point made me think this is just not for me I just, I don't enjoy that style. Now, I will say in in the last few years, I've kind of lightened up on that. I thoroughly enjoyed South Park, the Fractured Butthole, Love that name. But in that time, in 2004, if it said RPG, I associated with turn-based and realized I wasn't going to play it. It's why I never got to play the first Fable game. Much as I loved Fable 2 and 3, I never played the first game because it said RPG. So what changed my mind? Two games changed my mind, and for a big gaming moment of... RPGs are okay. The first one was X-Men Legends. Look, guys, I'm a huge X-Men fan, but I'm a huge, huge Wolverine fan. I have a tattoo to prove that. I love that character. So, I remember in 2000, late 2002, early 2003, there was a Game Informer that had Hugh Jackman on the cover. It was the debut reveal of X2 Wolverine's Revenge and X-Men Legends. Now, I read that over and over and over again i I just i was so excited for these two games and i will say i i loved wolverine's revenge a lot of people didn't but i loved it anyway x-men legends looked great except for it kept saying rpg rpg and i was like oh but in that magazine they come out and the director say no 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 there's going to be real-time combat that's what people want to play as. that's what we're going to do you hit a button to cyclops you're going to shoot an optic blast so I said, okay. Now I was still buying I was still down for it. But boy, was I a little bit hesitant. Like, oh, could this really be good? Is it going to be something I like? And then they changed the graphics. If you ever go back to the original look, it would look very much like New X-Men. Grant Morrison's run on the comic books. And they'd moved it to a uh, self-shaded Ultimate X-Men aesthetic. And I was kind of not loving that, but I was willing to give it a shot. Guys, I love that game. I absolutely love that game. I still have it on PS2. I still play it. I wish, I wish, I wish they would had ported it to PSP so I could still play it on that a lot easier. But I loved that game. The design of the world. I love the Dungeon Brawler-esque. I, I remember there's one where you're in the Morlock tunnels and I love being Nightcrawler. Like there'd be like a locked door and you could still see in front of it because of the, you know, isotomic view. And like, whoop bamf. Over to there and unlock the door. I loved all that stuff. I loved the gameplay and the combat and the danger room was kind of cool. Or just when you're not even in a mission and you're just walking around the X Mansion as, as a young magma and you're just talking to the different people and, and you know, Klaus is explaining being into art and Wolverine's talking and it's different. And it was, tr- you could tell Raven wrote that as fans of the X Men. Like it was a love letter to fans. I was so wrapped up in that game. And then you had the flashback missions. I mean, one of my favorite missions in all of gaming that I've always looked back and was like, dude, that was just so cool, was the Night of the Sentinels flashback missions where you have the Sentinels landing and you got to take them on and you're in the classic costumes. Or even the Weapon X weapon Escape Or even the Weapon X escape I thought was really cool. And then you also throw in the first appearance of Juggernaut. And he's just destroying the house. I mean that was just a cool moment. A lot of cool stuff there. I will also say this for another big moment if you will. Like a, if you want to say a a rally cry of I did it. So playing that game. I had got to the final boss. And you fight two fights. You fight Magneto. And then you have to fight. I I actually forget who it is. I, I believe it's a. Sentinel Prime or something to that effect, and Magneto had wiped me out. But I was so happy I beat him. I saved it. I saved it, and I'd lost all my good players: Wolverine, Magneto, or Wolverine, Cyclops. All these guys were down. I just had my B players that I didn't play a ton with. I tried over and over again. I could not beat this Mega Mind or Master Mold. That's who it is, ladies and gentlemen. It was Master Mold. Could not beat him. Man, I was so disappointed. And I stopped. I put the game away for a couple of months couldn't do it finally i was sitting there. i was like dude I, i've got to try this and i kept playing i kept playing and i realized i had storm and she along with cyclops had a leadership skill that if you built points up in that when you did your combined x combo where you use both move both powers in sync with another person it would do big damage and with her and jubilee and psylocke and whoever else i had i was able to to defeat master mole to finish the game and i loved it i loved that game i loved it so much and yeah the rest of the series x-men 2 is great i loved it Uh, and then the ultimate alliance games were awesome as well but that first one just really showed me hey man rpgs they're actually pretty cool all right so what's the second rpg that convinced me this one is not going to surprise too many people it absolutely was Elder Scrolls 4 Oblivion. And the funny thing about that is when it came out, I remember my one buddy was like, dude, you gotta play, you gotta play, you gotta play. And I'm like, dude, listen, man, I need you to be real with me. If I hit X, I want my dude to swing a sword. I don't want it to be some dial-based combat where it'll play out three animations. He's like, that's not it, man. You hit X, it swings your sword. All right, man, look, dude, I don't want it to freeze the game and I gotta pick my next move. No, man, I'm telling you, hit X, just do it. Hey, man, you hit X, he swings a sword in that game, man. I loved Oblivion. Like, you start off, here in the sewers, you're running around, and then when you open that world, you go out of that sewer, it's just this giant open world. I absolutely, absolutely loved it. I mean, it's the first RPG that actually created a full character, you know, and then you're, like, living the life of it and just, oh, man, it was so much fun. I know that if you pick this game up now and you look back and you'd probably be like, I are you giving it too much credit? But back then, this game was great. And you got to think, this is the game that inspired countless other RPGs. It's the game that, you know, Skyrim was built off of. And Skyrim is such a great game that, I mean, look, here we are in 2019, eight years after that game came out, it's still on every console. But it all comes back to Oblivion. And I mean, it really opened up that game style for me. I loved my time with it. I had so much fun. What did I do most in that game? Okay, true story. I would dress in all black from the Assassin's Guild. And I would wait for nighttime. I would pick locks because I had the unbreakable lock key. And I would rob everybody. And then the next day I'd go sell all their stuff. And that sounds dumb. But do you know how many hours I spent doing that? A lot. The only guild that I didn't finish was the Mages Guild. But I spent hours upon hours upon hours robbing people blind. And then making a profit. So what's another moment that I remember? And this is a moment I think we all remember when you think back of gaming. And I got to tell you something, late night gaming. It means something different for me now in my 30s. But I think back to when I was 16, 17. It's the late 90s. I got my first job working at a grocery store. And I just remember coming home from work at night in the summertime. I mean, I did it all year, but just the summertime, man. I would come home. You know, it would be like nine, ten o'clock. My dad would probably, you know, go to bed at like 11, so the big TV downstairs would be open, and I'd hook up the Nintendo 64 or the PlayStation 1, and I would just game out on Die Hard Trilogy and WCW Revenge. I can't tell you how many times I'd be laying on the couch, and I'd be having Macho Man fight Hogan and just, like, pass out and wake up to that, you know, that soundtrack in the background or, you know, hear just hearing the referee, one, two... Three, cause I didn't kick out cause I was asleep. I mean, it was just so much fun. <laughs> I look back now and I'm just like, man, I probably thought, man, my life is so stressful and how great was that time in your life? Nowadays, you know, when I stay up in game, I'm typically doing it because I've got some friends to chat with and it's cool or you're just, you know how it is when you get older responsibilities. You're staying up late because you want to try to get a little farther in this game. <laughs> you know, you don't have that much time anywhere else, but back then, You just stayed up to game because you just wanted the game. It was just fun. Oh, man. I tell you what, if I could get a hold of WCW, NWO, Revenge, On a 64, and the Die Hard trilogy, I know they'd be so dated at this point. And to be clear, the only game I actually really put a ton of time into in Die Hard was the first game where you're like running around Nakatomi Tower. But, man, oh, I would so be there. Such a fun, fun time. Alright. Another gaming adventure. So the one thing I never really came across... Was too many great games for my favorite movie icon... And that's Indiana Jones. So when I finally got to be Indiana Jones... It wasn't even playing Indiana Jones. Now, to be fair... On the Nintendo 64, there was actually a really cool game called... The Infernal Time Machine. I thought it was good. I didn't think it was great, but it it was good. And on PS2, there was actually a really, really, really good and fun game called The Emperor's Tomb. But you never really felt like that much of an explorer. Like Indiana Jones, you were Indiana Jones, and I know The Emperor's Tomb because that's out of those two games, that's the only one I actually did beat. You know, you'd get the hat knocked off and put it back on, and you'd whip across things. And, hey, it was fun, right? As great as that game was, as much as I loved it, Along would come another game that nailed being Indiana Jones. And that was Uncharted. Nathan Drake nailed it. No, he's not a ripoff of Indiana Jones in that sense. He's not the dude raider, as a lot of people when he first debuted was calling him. But those games nail the Indiana Jones sense of adventure and fun and that lighthearted comedy thrown in with big stakes and the exploring and just yeah it was just such a fun game like i felt like i was playing what i always wanted an indiana jones game to be again and emperor's tomb i love that game but when i played the first uncharted i was like man can you imagine if this had been an indiana jones game this would have been the greatest thing ever and actually in 2008 whenever the crystal skull movie came out with indiana jones i went and i found a used copy of Emperor's Tomb, and while it was still a fun game, I still loved that first level with the crocodile, like, chasing you, just waiting for you to fall in the water. I still found myself drawn to actually replay Uncharted. And I just was sitting there going, dude, this is, this is it. This is what Indiana Jones games should be. Not the movies, but the games. And I just, I hope one day we see a new Indiana Jones game in that vein, because I feel like as the Uncharted games grew, so, did their gameplay, so did their impact to the point that it started off as a game that heavily was influenced by Tomb Raider and Indiana Jones, and now the Tomb Raider games have rebooted themselves over the last generation to kind of go the same route, not copy, not mimic them, as this Uncharted game, so absolutely, absolutely. Finally being able to play Indiana Jones and not actually being Indiana Jones was a really cool moment for me. Well guys, that's only a taste of all the big moments that I want to talk to you guys about. But I'm actually going to save the rest of them for an episode down the road. So if you enjoyed them, just keep an eye out because there's even more to come. All right, guys. So last year, one of my favorite games was Spider-Man on PS4. I absolutely love that game. I just thought they've taken what's been done in previous spider-man games took a step back and said how can we actually make this the best spider-man game and i personally believe they did it they knocked out of the park the story the reimagining of the characters in certain parts the suits all this stuff it was just a ton of fun ultimately i gave it a nine i said the fun factor was high in the game and it really was there was only a few minor hiccups i'm not a fan of brutes in games those are those enemies that are bigger, that always block, they can just really hurt you with one or two hits. Uh, they always kind of stop the flow, and they really did in this game as well. Uh, a few other enemy types, but ultimately, I loved it. A solid nine. But recently, I had a chance to check out The City That Never Sleeps, which is the DLC for the Spider-Man game. Now, it's broken into three episodes. The Heist, Turf Wars, and Silver Lining. Ultimately, they could have probably put these three as one big expansion pack, but I actually really liked that it was broken up into three. You got those cliffhanger moments, you got a really well done story that not only all tied together, but it really tied well with the rest of the base game story as well. So let's break down, let's look at the different episodes. So first up, you have the heist. This was probably fundamentally my favorite of the three. I felt like It was the quickest one, but it didn't do anything to really bug me. And I'll talk about what bugged me with the other ones in a minute. But I really, really enjoyed the side mission they added in this game where you're hunting for these pieces of art. They were a lot like the book bags if you played the base game and you were checking those out. And they had a cool payoff at the end. I enjoyed the dynamic of Black Cat and Spider-Man and the, the thread of This one question that's going through the entire episode that you're just sitting there going, oh, please answer this question. I need to know. And I thought the ending and the way the story wrapped up was very, very Spider-Man and Black Cat. It was just, it was a ton of fun. There was no big changes to combat, nothing really crazy. I don't feel like they added too much to just kill your time with if you were trying to get everything, which in these episodes, to be clear, I did 100% each of them. This just didn't have a lot of fluff. There wasn't an obscene amount of side content to do. It was really just, here's the story and here's some fun stuff to do on the side. I really like the challenges they threw here too, including the one, the gadget challenge where you can only use two gadgets to take down a group of enemies. That was fun, and to be honest with you, it showed me new ways to try the gadgets out and combinations that I hadn't done before. And with that said about the ending and how much I loved it, that brings us to the next one, Turf Wars. Now, I thought the story in this one was probably the weaker of the three, but it was still really good. It just definitely felt like it didn't hit any big moments, if you will. But I will say this, the villain of this game, and I don't know if you know who it is or you don't know, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler, but I'm just going to shy away from saying it. I've always kind of thought he was kind of a two-bit whatever. He never really did anything for me in the comic books, and the old cartoon show but here i actually really liked it man he was a threat and i dug that and it makes sense given what happens with kingpin in the base game so it made sense that this guy would step up and start running things and i really actually enjoyed the way they did this that being said they're just like i said there wasn't like those huge big moments that had me really kind of strung along in the first game of that big question and the dynamic but What they did, I thought was pretty interesting. I will say, I will say, the suits you unlock in this episode, I thought were really, really cool. I really enjoyed one of them a lot and wore it a good bit of the time I was playing the game. But there was something they did that just really, really bugged me. I didn't say it a minute ago, but in the heist episode, they did introduce new brutes that have Gatling guns, and at first they were really a pain. Then I realized, oh. Hit him with the electric web, and you're good to go, right? This episode, they introduce some guys on gliders with shields. And I know in the base game, you kind of deal with guys that are sort of like that, but here, they are just obnoxiously annoying. Like, really, really frustrating. And I felt like doing the bases, you really got stuck in a lot of situations where you had those brutes, brutes with gatling guns, you had guys with the tasers that are like Whiplash from Iron Man. And you had those guys flying around on these gliders and throwing in assault rifles. And you throw in these rocket launchers. And they just got really frustrating. I think when you were kind of in open areas and you could kind of work the crowd a little bit, it made sense. But oh, some of this was so frustrating. And it's because of what I would said about Brutes earlier. Brutes always stopped the, the flow of fun right like it just kind of stops that combo i felt the exact same way about these gliders except for i hated their special move they did it could almost kind of nowhere really mess you up and then you had the frustration of dealing with the guys with the assault rifles and the rocket launchers who are easy to defeat but just dealing with them and the brutes with the gatling guns and the the gliders it just got very frustrating extremely frustrating at times so while that doesn't sound like that big of a deal You do fight a lot of those guys in missions. You do fight them when you're doing the side content. So I gotta tell you. That really knocked this down a little bit for me. But. I really enjoyed the ending. One of the characters from the base game is in this. They play a big part. And really kicks into high gear. In this episode. And I gotta say. It was one of the strongest beats of this episode. Is what was going on with this character. So. That leads us to Silver Linings. I really, really liked the story in this one. I mean, it was really tough for me to decide which had the better story between the first episode and the third episode. And to be clear, that second episode is right there with it. It just not, to me, it just didn't have the effect of the first two. Spider-Man's relationship with Silver Sable in... This third episode is really cool. Really cool dynamic. This earning the respect. I really dug it. I really started to like Silver Sable by the end of this. Which I didn't necessarily like her in the base game. The main villain is is back. He's just insane in this one. and There's just some really cool dynamics going on here. Then you go into do they do anything to frustrate you? And no, actually not really. I can't think of any new enemies i think that maybe between episode two and three developers heard it so they kind of backed away from having a lot of those guys those flying shielded guys that i couldn't stand they're still here but i think you kind of default to the basic gliders that you deal with in the base game here more than anything this episode also ties in a little bit more of some of the challenges to where you get this definitive ending you get a definitive ending to The one character that I mentioned in the second episode kind of is going through some stuff. You really get something that kind of makes me go, man, I wonder where that story is going to go in a potential sequel. There's just a lot of cool stuff here in this one as well. And this one ultimately, it not only does it tie up this three DLC story, it also feels like a great closure for the base game as well. But I'm glad I got to play because it really does feel like, okay, they closed everything up. So I'm not going to do individual scores on them. I'm going to do a full score for the entire deal. See, because it's kind of a package deal, honestly. You can't really play the first episode and not play the second one. You can't play the second one without playing the first one. You can't play the third without playing any of them and understanding what's going on. The base game, everything that was great in that is still great in here. There's a few frustrating enemies and definitely a few frustrating moments, but nothing that made me ever want to shut the system off and just leave it alone. I would give this DLC a strong 8. The story was really, really well done. Way better than I thought it was going to be. The characters are really good. Like I said, I ended up leaving the DLC really liking Silver Sable. Really saw this villain in a new light. Though I will say, when you see him in Episode 3, it's a little bit like of a... eh, They might have went a little too overboard on that. But it worked in the confines of... This DLC so a solid 8 if you played the base game and you were curious it's definitely something to pick up and play if you didn't play the base game go buy the base game go play spider-man it is an awesome awesome game and then pick this DLC up well there you go guys we talked about some of those big moments I've had over the, the last several years of gaming and some of those were a lot of fun to remember and you know what? Then I hit you with that review for the Spider-Man DLC, a game that I love, DLC that I really enjoyed. And if you have not got to play it, go check it out. It's a ton of fun. With that being said, guys, you can always hit me on thegraveyardgamer at gmail.com. Questions, concerns, things you want to be brought up in the next show, let me know. And you can also find me on Twitter at GYGamer. So, until next time, I'll be doing the Graveyard Shift.